0: And so, and then our oldest son is married, and he's in the military, and we have a grandbaby and one on the way, so yeah, so, uh, so super excited about all that, so wow, we're, they're really spread out. We got one North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, Indiana. <laughs> it's a good thing we travel for a living, <laughs> so, uh, so it's so good to be here, and uh, these services together are important, aren't they? Uh, They're important for the life of the church as a whole, but they're important for us just individually. We call them revival services, right? Because we're seeking uh, the Lord for revival. It doesn't mean automatically that's going to take place. So there are some conditions, and the Bible does say, uh, if my people, then will I. And so one aspect of revival is it is conditional. And uh, how we seek the Lord uh, is uh, going to be really um, impacting this week, and what we would get out of the, uh, the Word, and also how much we would be drawing closer to Him and revived. And so, uh, really, I want to look to the Lord today in Isaiah 66, and. Um, uh, sometime throughout the week, we'll give you more of an update on what the Lord's done in our ministry and all of those things. But uh, t- let's just jump right into these verses. And I'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll pray. Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says this Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? <laughs> How can you contain God if If the heaven is his throne, the earth is where he places his feet, where is the place of my rest? Where is he going to abide? Verse 2, for all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. As we are going to seek the Lord for revival, we really do need to get God's attention. God, would you hear us? God, would you respond to us? God, would you interact to us as we're praying to you, seeking you, drawing nigh to you? And so here in this passage, we see God gives special attention to a particular man. <laughs> and uh, it's, the Bible says here, To the man that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. But it says, to this man will I look. Isn't that interesting? Now, God sees everything, right? But uh, the title of the message in this lesson is, How to Get God's Full Attention. How to Get God's Full Attention. Let's ask the Lord to help us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this church in this area, um, and Lord, we know that is strategic, that is on purpose and designed by you. And Lord, we recognize this is your church. And so I pray, would you help us as we would go through this week? Would you build your church and help ones to certainly be encouraged, strengthened in the faith? And Lord, I ask without apology that you'd convict us, help us, help us to respond to you. Then Lord, I pray that you would help ones that come in and understand how to be saved and trust Jesus Christ as Savior as well. These are your days. Um, We are your people. And so, Lord, would you please help us and enable us to do what you want us to do? Um, God, there's always a struggle in our hearts with the flesh and the world and selfish desires. So, Lord, would you just help us through all of that to truly seek you and put you first? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever talked to someone and they weren't giving you the full attention? You say, "Yes, I married to that man." <laughs> 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 and uh, you know, you're talking, "Honey, mhm. Did you know about this and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. da Something <laughs> and uh, the man is, you know, not paying attention. Or the wife, you know, she's doing something and, and she might not be paying full attention. Maybe you're, someone's waiting for their ride, you know, or waiting for someone, they're looking out the door. Or I hate this, they grab their phone and they're looking at their phone. Ah, oh, boy, we need to just smash the phones and uh, help our communication and our relationships. Uh, but so many times we're talking to someone and we don't have their full attention. Now, again, we know that God is all-knowing and omnipresent, and so there's nothing that he misses, right? But there's certain times in Scripture where he says he draws nigh, or he inclines his ear, or he looks at this person. It's like there's a special focus. It's like God's saying, okay, now, what do you want to ask from me? What do you need? I'm re- I'm ready and, and willing. Okay, how do we get to that point? Well, the Bible says here, it says, to this man will I look, he that is poor, number two, contrite, of a contrite spirit, and number three, trembleth at my word. If we could take these three, there are three ways to get God's attention. Number one, when we humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves. Now, when we look at the word poor, we think, oh, poor, well, I qualify. <laughs> we're not talking financially, okay, uh, poor. Uh, we're talking spiritually poor, okay? And so oftentimes poor is equated to the matter of humility, and we're going to see that. So when we humble ourselves, um, we are recognizing ourselves as spiritually bankrupt. Okay? Now, if someone is financially poor, they don't have the means and the money to maybe pay all their bills, right? What if someone is physically? Uh, they're physically they're doing poorly. Okay, if they're physically poor, they're they're in the hospital, they're they're sick, they they've missed church for months because their health is poor. Well, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about here about being poor spiritually. Like literally, when what we have to bring to To God and from our spiritual life is I'm bankrupt I don't have anything what did you bring to salvation did did you add 50% 25% did you did you bring any monetary spiritual value no you came spiritually bankrupt I'm a sinner I'm lost I'm destitute desperately in need and Lord would you save me well that's the idea with this idea uh, of being poor it's this matter of humility Matthew 5 and verse 3, it's blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, so, the poor in spirit is the idea. That's the one that is truly um, uh, going to be humble. Let's look at some Psalms. If you want to hold your place in Isaiah, and let's look at some Psalms. Psalm 40, Psalm 40, verse 17. Psalm 40 and verse 17. Uh, it just even actually to set up verse 17, let's look earlier in this psalm at verse 5. This is tremendous. Um, you see a verse similar to this in Psalm 139. But Psalm 40, beginning in verse 5, then we'll go to verse 17. Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done. Now watch this. And thy thoughts, which are to usward, They cannot be reckoned of in order unto thee. That means they can't be counted and listed. If I were to declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. What he's talking about is more can be numbered what, um, how God thinks of you. The thoughts he thinks towards you. Isn't that incredible? Okay, now let's go to verse 17. But I am poor. Now watch, help me out in just a second. What's with this poor? But I am poor and what? Needy. (laughs) Yet the Lord thinketh upon me, thou art my help and my deliverer, make no tearing, O oh my God. I am poor and needy. There we go. I'm in need of what God has because I'm spiritually bankrupt. And in the midst of my weakness, my inadequacies, um, and my bankruptcy, God thinks about me. God thinks about you. How much did you think about God this last week? No doubt, every day, at some point, I would think everyone here would have thought about God. Maybe you had devotions. Maybe you heard something. Uh, maybe you went to one of the services throughout the week, and so you thought about God to some degree. <laughs> but he thought about you and me so much more, and in our need, uh, he just says, um, He's thinking about us to be able to help us and to fulfill our need. Uh, Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 6. Psalm 34, verse 6. It says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, in context here, he's talking about getting out of trouble. Is he talking about Poor monetary? No. Who's actually writing this psalm, do you know? It says at the beginning, at the title, Psalm of David. Okay. He's the king. He says, and when he says this poor man, he's referred to himself. So here is King David saying this poor man. Someone else is going, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not talking about wealth. We're not talking about mansions. We're not talking about houses and chariots (laughs) and all of those things. We're talking about having anything in our life to offer to God. We need to say, dear God, this poor man cried and you saved me out of all my troubles. No doubt that could be our testimony. But would we recognize that we are insufficient spiritually? Let's look at Psalm 86. Psalm 86 in verse 1. Psalm 86 In verse 1, Psalm 86 in verse 1, again, just has that, almost that same idea of Psalm 40, 17. It says in Psalm 86 in verse 1, bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Here is God bowing down his ear. He's looking, he's giving his full attention to the one that is poor and needy. Would you see yourself as spiritually bankrupt? Imagine going to the store, and there's an item you need that costs $50. And so in your pocket, you have $17. <laughs> and you go up to the counter, and um, you have the item, and say, um, I-, I like to buy this. Okay, it's $50 plus tax. <laughs> and you bring out your $17. Now, is that adequate? No. Are you going to be able to go out of the store with it? Not legally, but in some cities, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, now we're awake. <laughs> so, no, we wouldn't be able to. Okay. So, but now imagine this time going up to the counter, and you don't even have the $17. Okay, now we're getting to the idea. I, I don't have anything to offer God. Lord, would you help me? Not only does this idea of poor and humble have, um, obviously it's humility, that bankruptcy of I don't have anything to offer, but humility has the idea of being low, L-O-W. And that's a good definition for humility. It's just I'm low. James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Notice that up part. So he lifts us up when we are humble. Why? Because then we are low. He lifts us up. Um, the Bible says uh, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, uh, Jesus is lowly in heart. What's that? That's humble, right? And let's go back to Isaiah, but this time, as we do so, let's look at another verse, Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, 15, do you have it? It says this, For thus saith the High and Lofty One, notice he's high, the High Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Who's going to be revived this week? The one that is humble and contrite. We're going to get to contrite here in our second point, but it's that's the idea. Um, the one that says, "Hey, I'm okay spiritually, brother Chris. Yeah, this this week would be, that'd be kind of a good like a little boost or a shot in the arm. Um, but you're not really recognizing yourself as I am totally in need. I I need the Lord. I need His Word. I, I'm bankrupt." That person is not going to be revived. The one that's going to say, God, I totally need you. I desperately need you. Would you please help? And the promise is this. Here's the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity. But then it says, out, who is also there with him? I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is contrite and humble. I mean, a humble means low. W- why, is, why is that person up there? That, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Well, the Bible, again, in James 4, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Um, here, it's I dwell you know, in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Um, if I could get a young person, a young, young man to help me out, anybody would be willing uh, to help me out with an illustration? Thank you very much. Come on up. What, what's your name? Joshua, all right, Joshua, I appreciate your help. Thank you so much. Hey, um, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind just going down on one knee? All right. So, okay. Now, <laughs> here he is low, right? And if I had even something to stand on, I could be higher. Now you can stand back up. Um, oftentimes we think this is um, to get to God. Um, obviously, the idea in the direction is up. Okay. The way up is up. Um, so I can come, I can approach God how I, uh, I need to and with, with my own capability and my own capacity. But again, the Bible says, God giveth grace to the humble, um, but he resisteth the proud. Uh, the re- word resist is not only to, to keep at a distance and resist in that way, but it literally, it, it's very aggressive. It's like a battle. Like you're getting ready to battle your enemy. Um, have you ever watched football? Uh, a, couple of times. <laughs> a couple of times, okay. Uh, all right, so uh, if the running back has the ball, you know, he's got it. And uh, as the running back comes, if you, you try to tackle that person, they can do something and they can do a stiff arm. Try to come towards me. It can go like this. Ooh, he's trying to good. <laughs> so he can stiff arm him, and man, some of them, like the Tennessee running back, man, he can, whoa. <laughs> he's throwing them down like rag dolls, and there's, you know, a 190-pound man, you know, and he's resisting, right? So try again. He that comes to God on his own, God resists the proud, right? But then he gives grace to the humble. And connecting that then with Isaiah 57, he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is a contrite spirit. Not the one that's prideful. Joshua, would you mind taking that knee again? But when we humble ourselves, which means low, right? We humble ourselves, then God says he will lift us up. Let me go ahead and bring you up here. And when we are lifted up, we dwell in the high and holy place with God. It's not a place where we share his glory because he's not going to share that. But it's an intimate place of fellowship. When we are revived, we are humbling ourselves, and then God is lifting us up to have that intimate fellowship with him. Thank you very much for your help. This week, who's going to be revived? It's not the person, again, that says, hey, I've got it all together. I'm doing okay. No, but the man, the lady, the young person that says, God, I don't have it together. Lord, please have mercy upon me and I humble myself before you, I totally need you. Not only do we see this humility, so we get God's full attention, number one, when we humble ourselves, but number two, we get God's full attention when we are broken. When we are broken, that's the word contrite. Notice if you're still in Isaiah 57, 15, notice again, it says in the latter part of verse 15, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite, and humble spirit. Oftentimes coupled with humility is contrition, contrite. What does contrite mean? Contrite means broken. Contrite means smashed. Um it, it, in our text, verse, in Isaiah 66, if you want to go back in verses 1 and 2, Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit. So the second way to get God's attention is to have that contrite or broken spirit. Now, Psalm 34, 18 um, is a good, good verse to see. And if you're able to, to get there, uh, hold your place in Isaiah. But uh, Psalm 34, 18, the Bible says this. and we were, we're going back to this psalm. This is a wonderful psalm. But Psalm 34, 18, the Bible says this. Um, well, look at verse 17. It says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Then Psalm thirty four, eighteen, The Lord is nigh, Unto them, what does nigh mean? Close, right? Near. Uh, Unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. So not only does God lift up that humble person, but God is near or close to that one that is broken. Now, broken hearted sometimes can just mean, I'm sad, I'm in grief. Uh, I'm discouraged, depressed, Uh, I'm I'm battling things, and I've had hard times in my relationships or difficulties or troubles in life, and my heart's broken. But then there's other times it talks about just simply your contrite, your spirit being broken. So there it's not um, just simply the idea of, uh, again, of just I'm feeling sad or dejected, but there's more to it. It's speaking, I believe, of our will. Broken In our will. Um, One commentator writes this contrite, comes from a Hebrew word, um, and it says refers to be crushed into dust or low as dust. When the pride of our hearts have been crushed, and we are the dust in our spirit, then God will save us or deliver us from our situation. It's the idea: I'm broken in my will. Um, whenever um, you know, we saw some horses on the way from Tucson over here, and uh, they—I don't know if they're getting ready to have a like a rodeo for youth or something. But there's, I don't know, probably 20, 25 people on horses and such, and uh, they're getting ready to do some type of something. And uh, have, how many here have ridden a horse? How many of you have ridden? a horse? Okay, most of you have. Okay, um, how many of you have ridden a horse that's never been broken? <laughs> Uh, that's called a rodeo <laughs> right there, right? And so uh, it's, when we're talking about a horse being broken, we're not talking about the leg. We're not talking about a physical aspect of the horse. We're talking about the will of the horse being broken. And then once it is broken, then it can be used. If it's not, then I wouldn't recommend using <laughs> a horse that is not broken because then you have a battle of what? battle of wills. You got it. The horse has one will, the rider has another will, and there's this battle going back and forth. Whose will is going to be dominant? And and you're going back and forth. Uh, there's at the Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee where uh, we go back every summer and I preach at the camp there. And they have about 40 head of horses. The head wrangler and cowboy, he, he says, oh, that one's um, sometimes that's a green horse, uh, you know, and, you know, it, it's just fresh, and you can't ride it, you know, and we have this, um, this illustration that we do for the children, we bring them out to the roadie arena, and the, you know, young kids, and they, we take a horse that has not been broken yet, and we start doing some of the things that he initially does, getting them used to sounds and objects, or lunging them, They has them on a rope, and he has the, the bull whipping. he doesn't snap them, he just snaps it in the air, and and he goes around in a circle, and he gets them to run, and get And they're supposed to not only run when he wants them to, but they're also supposed to look at him, and when he's doing a good job, they're not pulling away. They're not like, you know, going this. Eventually, they're looking to him while they're doing it, and then when he finishes, they come. You can see the difference when, when he first started, man, they're wanting to go against the rope and everything. Then after he stops, and he's done this for a while, then they they actually walk towards him, and they're ready for the next instruction. Uh, he'll do some other things and, uh, um, and, you know, make some noises or whatever. You know, they're real skittish, right? So you've got to get used to noises and lights or flashing this or that or whatever because you don't want them to, to spook when they got a kid or a camper or something on their, their back. Then you don't take the saddle blanket and just throw it on there in the, the, um, the saddle yeah, he brings it up, he lets them smell it, you know, he touches them a little bit with it, and he eases it on there. You know, the saddle, it's a little heavier, and they, they usually, you know, kind of get a little skittish with it. But all of these steps are getting them used to it, but also it's a part of breaking their will. It's interesting, the cowboy says, oh, that, that horse is green, you know, it's, it's brand new, you can't ride it. Uh, that one's fully broken, that's good. That one over there is only half broke. <laughs> Probably not good English, but it's really good illustration. Half-broke. I mean, sometimes it'll do what it's supposed to, and sometimes it does it what it wants to. (laughs) Okay, so let me ask, does God look down and say, oh, that Christian, I can't use them. You know, oh, that one, they're broken. Or that one, uh, they're (laughs) half-broke. You know, sometimes they're where they need to be and so, their heart is soft. Is your heart so soft that you're willing to entrust your will, yourself, your heart into God's hand and allow him to do his way? Look, is God going to mistreat you? Is he going to do something to harm you? No. Will he show us sin? Yeah. Will he help us to see some things in areas of our flesh? Yeah. In a world that's Crept in, yes, but all of that is for our good. To get those things out, if there's a cancer in our life, we need to get that out of our body. If there's a cancer of sin, God wants to do the spiritual surgery this week to help us to get where we need to be. And if we're going to have uh, any success in seeking the Lord for revival, we need to have a broken heart. That is, my will is broken. My my. My spirit is contrite and I'm repentant in my spirit. Psalm 38 and verses 17 and 18 simply say this. Psalm 38, 17, it says, For I am ready to halt, I'm ready to stop, and my sorrow is continually before me. Why? Verse 18, For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. When's the last time you just said, God, I'm sorry for my sin? Because it hurt you. My sin is against you. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Would we recognize we need to be contrite in our spirit? If we're going to get God's attention this week and really seek him for revival, then number one, we get God's attention when we, remember, we humble ourselves. Number two, when we are broken. Let's say, let's say that together. Number one, when we humble ourselves we get number two, we get God's full attention. Number two, when we are broken. And here's the number th- three is when we fear God. When we fear God. That's what it means in Isaiah 66 and verse two when he says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, that's humble, contrite in spirit, that's broken, trembleth at my word. That's talking about fearing God. Fearing God confession without excuse or argument. We're not uh, giving, oh, this, the reason is because she said that first, and that person acted in this way, and well, anybody would sin and do that in today's time, but we're trembling at God's word, and we're trembling certainly at God's presence. Um, You know, I, I have no agenda this week where I want you to tremble at what I'm saying, or I want you to, um, you know, come to any type of conclusion to lift me up in your mind to be higher, okay? But I am simply just a spokesperson. I am just a channel. I am a preacher called of God, and I, woe was me if I do not preach the gospel? And I'm going <laughs> to preach, and I'm going to tell you what God told me to tell you, okay? But when we do that don't look at me, look to His Word. And we need to have a good, healthy respect, reverence, and even fear. When's the last time we just heard, you know, pastor teaching in a calm way, and he's teaching, and he's talking about, in the Word of God, consequences of sin. And selfishness, and how if we neglect wisdom, and this is going to be the calamities in our life, or this is going to be the consequences you know, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, there's this little chill, you know, and I God, I, I need to get this taken care of. I don't want to go down the same path. I don't want to be out of the ministry. I don't want to be falling to some great sin. I don't want to turn my heart or my, my life back to Him, and I can't hide things in my heart or my life. I can't do things uh, a contrary to God's word and think I'm going to be the exception. You are not the exception from God's word or the consequences of sin. I tell you, uh, when God says, "Thus saith the Lord," He knows our hearts and He knows what we need. But we need to fear God and His word afresh and anew. But when we come into the to the um, to the the services, yes. We have to have an evangelist. Yes, we have to have a spokesperson, but it's God's word. It's the Holy Spirit taking his word, and we say, okay, thus saith the Lord. You know, this is what God says, and I'm going to listen to what the Lord says to me, and I'm going to fear. There's so many that would not fear at God's word. Uh, I I think of Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and uh, he was sitting on the throne and... His train filled the temple, and his glory filled the temple. And there's an angel It says he had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. With twain, he did fly. They cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And it talks about him trembling. Literally, it says the posts of the doors and everything shook because of the presence of the Lord. And what the angels even said about the holiness of God. But he trembled. He says, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Undone is the idea of, I don't have any excuse. There's no retaliation. Okay, you've sinned. Oh, yeah, but the reason is, there's no um, diminishing it, minimizing the sin, there's no, you know, pushing it under the rug or saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. He, here is Isaiah, a prophet of God, and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, do you think he had the mouth of a sailor? Probably not, right? No. you think he cursed and was uh, just really careless with his speech? No, in the context, it talks about him talking to others and speaking to Israel and communicating to them what God said. And perhaps his greatest sin wasn't murmuring and complaining. Perhaps his greatest sin wasn't gossiping and backbiting. Perhaps his greatest sin wasn't cursing or getting close to those curse words. But perhaps his greatest sin was silence, that he didn't say what God told them to say, or he didn't communicate and warn the people to, so that they could um, look to God for their salvation. Would we tremble at God's word, then certainly at God's presence. Listen to these verses, Psalm 33 and verse 18, the Bible says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Upon them that hope in his mercy. Again, if we're going to get God's attention, his eye is on the one that fears him, that fears him, and then certainly trembles at his presence. In Jeremiah chapter 5, you're pretty close if you're still in the last part of Isaiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 5. We see in a situation here in Jeremiah chapter 5 where someone did not fear Jeremiah chapter 5, it says in verse 21, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, and which have ears and hear not. Look at Jeremiah 5, 22. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have I placed uh, the sand at the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it? Uh, And though the waves... They have tossed themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over. He's saying, look, I'm the one that spoke, and I, I put the boundary on the ocean so it doesn't come and flood you. You know, I'm the one that did all of this. Will you not fear me? Will you not tremble? But look at verse 23. It says, but this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and, and gone Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain, both the former and the latter, in, this, in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. You know what God wants? He wants to bless you. Later in Jeremiah, in chapter 29, we say, you know, the thoughts that I think towards you, they're, they're thoughts of peace, not of evil. to give you an expected end. God wants good things to give to you. He's saying, okay, this is what I've got for this. You know that guy in the church in, at Royal View? Yeah, I've got this for him right here. Okay, I can't wait for him to get him. give it to him. If he seeks me, I'm waiting for him to humble himself. I'm waiting for him to be broken in his will and I'm waiting for him to fear, and I've got this good blessing for him. Okay, but what happens? Your iniquities have turned away these things. Your sins have withholden good things from you. Staying in your pride, staying in your stubborn will, and then not having a reverence and respect for God has withholden good things that God has planned for you. What does God have planned this week for royal view? I really don't know. I know, generally, God's will is for this church to be revived. Would you agree? Okay. And generally, God's will is certainly to save uh, the lost. And he's not willing that any should perish. So anyone that walks through the door, and the ones that we want to interact with this week, God wants to save their souls. So yes, I believe God has plans for reviving this church. And bringing you up and closer to God than you've ever been before. God has plans this week to save souls. Maybe God has other blessings and answering your requests at work, and your requests in your family and your housing and your finances and, and your relationships and all of the just the stuff that we have to come to God and ask Him for. He says, "Okay, I've got these good things, but you miss them because you don't humble yourself, and we're not broken." and we're not fearing God, and we're not paying attention to what God has said. And the truth is, you are going to miss so many good things that God has for you. You and I, you're your worst enemy, and you think God's after you. No, if we were to just admit it, humble ourselves, is that comfortable? No, it's dealing with self and pride. But we got to deal with that. And if we do, then God says, okay, that's the one I'm going to look to. That's the one I'm going to incline my ear in, and my ear and listen. And that's the one I'm going to lift up and revive. May God help us to certainly humble ourselves to be broken, and to fear God like we ought to. And I tell you, based upon the promises of Scripture, He will interact with us, and He will answer us and give us special attention.